In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talk to Evan Yu about the exciting changes coming in Vue 2.0. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 50. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Full Stack Radio. Before we get into the awesome interview with Evan today, just a couple quick updates on what's going on with me. Still working hard on Test Driven Laravel, the video course I'm working on. You can learn more about that at testdrivenlaravel.com if you haven't already. I sent out a quick update to the mailing list the other day, just kind of letting people know where things are at. I'm still hard at work on the demo app, trying to get that finished so I can get it up so people can play with it and uh, get excited about what we're going to build. I also just got back from a Pacific Northwest PHP in Seattle, which was a really fun conference. I gave a talk on collections there, and I actually gave away a coupon for refactoring to collections that I wanted to share with you on the podcast. So if you have been interested in picking up a copy of that and you haven't yet, you can use the coupon PNWPHP, the acronym for Pacific Northwest PHP, to get 25% off any of those packages. Uh, So check that out if you haven't already. Uh, that's basically all I got, so on to the interview with Evan Yu. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. I'm Adam Wathen, and uh, today I'm welcoming back to the show Evan Yu, the creator of Vue.js. How's it going, Evan? Good. How are you? Good. So, uh, yeah, the reason I wanted to have you on the show is because Vue 2.0 is going to come out, I guess, uh, any time now, really. It seems like there's a couple release yep. candidates that have been floated around, so... Sounds like you guys are just kind of polishing things up and getting ready to ship the final version. So I thought it would be cool to kind of talk about the backstory there and what some of the differences are and what kind of led us to where we are today with Vue 2.0. Yeah, sure. So I guess um, what is kind of like the the fundamental reason for jumping to like a 2.0? Um, I, I know I heard that the whole thing was like rewritten from scratch and stuff like uh-huh. that. So what is kind of the backstory there? What what sort of fundamental changes did you want to make that uh, led you down this path of putting in a new major version that's a total rewrite? Mm-hmm. So... Um, I think it's a it's a combination of multiple reasons. Um, one of the more obvious one is uh, I want it to be to be faster, and I want the code quality to be better. And the 1.0 code base was um, it, it has been around. So the last rewrite of Vue was around uh, 0.12, I believe. Uh, 0.11 or 0.12. So that was like long time ago, and th- that same code base had been iterated on um, all the way to 1.0.26 as of today. And it's, um, it's quite a bit of history. And uh, overall, like the, uh, the maintainability of the code base itself, um, I just, like, in, in the process of maintaining it, I have all these, you know, um, little issues that I wanted to fix, but it would be just very costly if I were to, you know, layer on all these extra patches on top of a, a long-standing code base. Um, so doing a rewrite is probably a really a good way to sort of um, you know throw away some of the tech debt that has been piling up and, and looking at the code base from a very fresh perspective and, and being able to um, basically carry out all these ideas that I have been piling I have been piling up like when I'm look when I'm fixing a bug I would have this idea hey it would be much better if this whole part was written in a different way but it, it's probably not worth it to to do it to the 1.0 code base because it would probably you know cause some other bugs or or um, make it even more complex so um, a rewrite is one way of doing that uh, but Obviously, that would not be the only reason because this alone would not justify a, a whole new version. Uh, so another part of the, the reason for the new version is um, that gives me the opportunity to um, completely rethink uh, the rendering layer, uh, how, how the actual rendering is, is performed in Vue. Uh, so that gives the opportunity for a big performance optimization and also, uh, the introduction of the, um, the virtual DOM uh, gives us the opportunity to completely decouple the rendering logic from the browser, from the DOM. So eventually, um, we get this uh, layer that's completely abstracted, uh, and we can, instead of just coupling it to the DOM, we can point it to somewhere else so that we can do server-side rendering, or we can use the same rendering logic to, to render to native targets. So 
it opens up a lot of new possibilities. Um, so um, that's these two reasons combined is what kind of prompted me to to go for 2.0. Uh, I've actually had this idea for a while, but um, never actually had the um, never actually I've had a few small prototypes on the side, but never actually had the uh, the dedicated block of time to do it. Uh, and I think I can't really remember how it started, but uh, one day. I was sitting down, and 1.0 was pretty stable. I was like, maybe I could give this give this another shot, and that that whole like session I was in the zone. It went really well, <laughs> and I basically got like the whole like render pipeline figured out in that one day. So I was like, wow, this um, I've got the biggest problem solved. Maybe I could just like you know complete this and make it actually 2.0. And then I just started doing it, but obviously, you know, there's a lot more work involved when you actually start doing it. But uh, I just kind of carried on, and now we're pretty close to shipping it. So yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's surprising, I guess, like how uh, how quickly you can usually get like the most important eighty percent of the work done, and then you know it takes ten times as long just to polish up <laughs> yeah. all the little corners and stuff like that. Definitely. Was there any code that you were able to like bring over from? Uh, the first version, or was like every single part of it rewritten? Uh, actually, re- reused a lot of the stuff, like the um, the the reactivity system, the watcher code, uh, observers. Uh, those were almost like copied over Rebatum, uh, with just small like refactoring. Uh, when when I was integrating it, uh, the biggest change was mostly in the rendering part. Uh, the uh, for example the template parsing logic and um, the actual like DOM related parts are completely new. Got yeah, it. but the reactivity system is mostly the same. Cool. So uh, one thing I w- I'd be interested in talking more about is uh, how Vue uses the virtual DOM stuff. So mm-hmm. I guess for anyone who's not familiar with what like a, the virtual DOM is or what it means, can you explain kind of what's different about the approach that was used in Vue 1 versus what you're doing now in Vue 2 with the virtual DOM? Yeah, definitely. So um, in Vue 1, the, the basic idea is, um, so we have a piece of template. We would actually turn that piece of template into an actual DOM structure. We would let the browser parse it, turn it into real DOM. Then we walk the DOM structure and uh, we look for these uh, potential bindings like mustache tags and uh, attribute bindings. We will look for them in the text content and attribute values and then when we find something like that, uh, we will basically extract them and then turn it into a directive binding. um, so that binding holds a, a reference to the actual DOM node that it was found on. Uh, and then it also creates a watcher that watches the, the value in, in our JavaScript side. So whenever the, the JavaScript value changes, it will then directly manipulate and update the corresponding DOM node that it was bound to. So this is a very direct like data binding concept, but that basically relies on having a real DOM structure that you can walk and parse. Uh, to be able to do that. So that's for uh, view 1.0. Uh, in 2.0, uh, the idea is pretty different. So in 2.0, we still have the template, but we basically parse it as actually parse it as a string. And we turn that string into, uh, into JavaScript, JavaScript code uh, that becomes a render function. So what the render function does is it returns this uh, virtual DOM structure. It's basically a tree of JavaScript objects uh, that describes what we want the eventual DOM to look like. So, for example, if you have um, if you have a a div that you want to display, then you would have a corresponding virtual node that maybe maybe just a plain JavaScript object with the tag property which has a value div. So basically, it just describes what you want, um, and all the render function does is just generating this um, this in-memory d- data structure that represents what it should be like, and then we have this uh, a part uh, a patch layer. So this patch layer is is responsible for taking this virtual do- uh, data structure and turn it into the real DOM. So the, on subsequent updates, we would rerun this render function and generate a new tree, a, a new virtual DOM tree. So now we have a new tree and an old tree, and the patch algorithm basically is smart enough to compare these two trees and figure out what has actually changed, and then apply those changes to the DOM. So 
still you only apply the minimal amount of DOM manipulations, uh, but uh, the you know the whole rendering idea is very different. Is it able to do like so in the in the way that you described it in view one? It sounded like you would hold like an actual reference to like a DOM node, like maybe right. you had like a. Um, a value that was being rendered in, in a span tag or something. Mm-hmm. And you would have an actual reference to that real span tag that the browser knows about. And you're just editing that right. value directly. So it's right. still the same span tag at the end of the day, just with like new content with the virtual right. DOM approach. Is it throwing out the existing span and putting in a new one, or is it still smart enough just to replace the content in the tag that's already there? Right. So here, so here's the, the interesting part because uh, in, in the virtual DOM implementation, you would create two different so across two renders you would create two different virtual nodes that represents the same real span so you would have like uh, a virtual node that represents the span in the first tree and then you have another uh, virtual node in the second tree also represents the same span they all should eventually point to the same span in the actual dom um, but there is no uh, discrete uh, like distinct connection uh, that you can see, like just in the tree itself. But when they are definite, when the when the system is different, them, uh, the system is smart enough to figure out, hey, they actually point to the same thing. So uh, if there is a existing span in the DOM here already, I should probably just reuse that instead. So the the actual algorithm is uh, is pretty interesting, um, but. It's kind of like a black box to to users because users wouldn't actually need to figure out how it does the diff and patch them. But yeah, uh, it's it's very smart and efficient so that it figures out like when to reuse, when to patch, and when to just replace things. So was the whole virtual DOM thing hand rolled for Vue, or is it uh, leveraging like some existing library or anything? Yeah, it is based on an existing library called SnapDOM. So uh, um, a big shout out to the author of the library. Uh, because it's um, so, I looked around for a lot of these virtual DOM implementations, and um, so I was basically looking for one that would be suitable for be- being embedded into Vue as it's uh, as it's basically the 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 base of its rendering structure. Um, and SnapDOM was great in that it's very lightweight. The code itself was uh, easy to read, and also it's 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 designed to be very modular. Um, or in other terms, hackable. It was uh, it was relatively low level. The API itself does not really uh, like um, force you to use it in, in a certain way. So I was able to just uh, I was able to use it inside Vue 2.0 and and to be able to modify the code as as I go to make it suit my needs. Um, unlike some of the other implementations, uh, a lot of these virtual DOM implementations. Because um, an interesting thing is a virtual DOM implementation alone wouldn't be much useful because uh, nobody would actually want to hand-write applications using a very low-level implementation. So they always bundle it with some sort of higher-level you know, component or application-like interfaces, uh, which actually makes them less desirable in my situation because what I really want is just a very you know, uh, bare bones virtual DOM implementation that I can fork and uh, modify and embed. Mm-hmm. So SnapDOM was perfect for that purpose, and it's also really performant. So, yeah, it was a really good choice. Awesome. So what sort of uh, performance increases are you seeing now with the virtual DOM implementation versus what we had before? Um, so the biggest performance increase is probably in the initial rendering. Um I would say in a lot of cases, especially in large lists of items, uh, you would see performance increase by like just 100%. Wow. Probably. Yeah. And uh, in extreme cases, it's like three to four times faster. Um, and there is also a third-party benchmark that um, third-party benchmark that compares diff- a lot of different frameworks in, uh, in some very comprehensive benchmarks. Essentially, it, it tests like rendering uh, a thousand item list, uh, reordering the list, adding items to the list, uh, updating items in the list, and re-rendering and also appending items. So it was a pretty comprehensive benchmark. And uh, Vue 2 was essentially, so the baseline is vanilla JavaScript, uh, which is at one. So each framework gets a score of uh, 
basically a, a overall slowdown compared to vanilla JavaScript as the baseline. So V1 was around like 2.12, uh, and V2, I think it was around 1.3 something. Wow. Yeah. How do um, other frameworks like React compare on a benchmark uh, like React that? is around like 1.7-ish, oh, awesome. I think. Yeah, and Angular 2 is also around 1.7-ish. So yeah, Vue 2 is uh, decently faster than them in, uh, in this specific benchmark, but I wouldn't say that covers all the use cases. But in general, I'm pretty confident to say that uh, Vue 2.0 is faster than React or Angular 2 in, in most common use cases. Yeah, yeah that's really cool. It, at the very least, you can never make the argument that you would choose React for performance over Vue. Right. <laughs> Which I think is a, a pretty important uh, thing to be able to say, given that that was, you know, one of React's main, uh, well, not main yeah. claims to fame, but it was an important part of, uh, I think, uh-huh. its adoption early on. So aside, I guess, from the virtual DOM thing, are there other significant, not really user-facing improvements that you think are worth talking about? Yeah, I guess uh, the size is an interesting thing because um, it turns out Vue 2 is actually lighter than Vue 1. Um, and also, in, in terms of architecture, the um, Vue 2 now has um, the has two discrete parts. One is the uh, the compiler, and one is the runtime. So the compiler is responsible for compiling the string template string into the render function. Um, but that process can be done at a built as a build step. So you don't necessarily have to do that in a browser. Um, so for example, if you're using like Vueify or Vueloader uh, to, to write your view components, and they basically already compile the templates into render functions for you. So when you ship the code to the browser, uh, the compilation is no longer necessary. Um, so you can use the runtime-only build, which doesn't include the compiler. So it's basically 16K um, minified plus gzipped. Uh, in comparison, V1 is 25-ish. Wow. Yeah, so it's like actually a lot lighter. And um, even if you uh, snuck in Vue Router and Vue all together, it's still like lighter than V1. So it's uh, it's actually a pretty big improvement in terms of size as well. So that's awesome. So that so you you mainly get that benefit then if you are you have some build step and the only way that you're using Vue is with custom Vue components and you're not ever like using it to attach to existing DOM like like how you would demonstrate in like a basic getting started example. Well, right? if you getting if you're getting started, you would still use the uh, the full build, mm-hmm. which is uh, around twenty two k. So still lighter than V one. Awesome. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Andrew, the co-founder of Clubhouse, which is an agile project management tool, had to say about Rollbar and how they use it at their company. What Rollbar let us do is is to very quickly react uh, when when a bug actually happens and keep bugs from becoming huge issues for us as a, as a company. Let's say I'm looking at a specific bug, I can see the exact stack trace for that bug because we have source maps enabled, we can see exactly what line caused the issue, not just, you know, line 6,000. On top of that, we can see who it's affected, how often it's happened over the last 60 days, which is great. Uh, And we can also, with any alert, we can pass in basically a list of interactions that led up to that point in time. User clicked on story, open story, updated the owner, and then if that was the last thing in the interaction, then we know it's possible that it was related to that. So I've been using Rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app, Nitpick CI, and loving it. Uh, If you want to check it out, you can head over to rollbar.com slash fullstackradio, and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So check that out, and uh, thanks again to Rollbar for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. Um, so I guess what are some of the uh, exciting user-facing features or changes in Vue 2.0? So uh, so in Vue 2.0, we did a lot of um, th- we we tried we tried really hard to to preserve the uh, the core experience. So the template syntax is largely the same. Uh, if you are familiar with V1. You shouldn't have a hard time getting started with V2. It's like nothing like Angular 2 to Angular Angular 2 from Angular 1 difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very um, very incremental uh, upgrade. And in terms of new features, one of the primary new feature I would say is the render function. Uh, in 
instead of uh, writing templates, you can drop down to just directly writing render functions, which gives you a lot of flexibility uh, to um, do very complex um, logical operations uh, that you probably cannot do in templates. Because in templates, you are naturally restricted by the template syntax. Um, the template syntax is usually very limited, intentionally limited, because it's used to express um, mostly uh, UI structure. Um, but there are in cases when you're building very complex UI, for example, um, you're building a very uh, complex component that uh, that needs to like conditionally render different content based on the props that you give it to it. Uh, in those cases, sometimes you might just want to use the full power of a programming language instead of uh, a, a template syntax. So in those cases, you can drop down to the render function and use just use JavaScript. So that gives you the full flexibility of a Turing complete language, uh, which. Um, will allow you to do a lot of interesting things. It's, it's a di little difficult to, to give a really you know, a simple example with, uh, in a podcast, but um, uh, we do have some interesting, uh, very detailed documentation in, in coming up, uh, thanks to the hard work by Chris, who's uh, our, on our core team, and he's basically driving the whole new documentation work. Um, so. You'll see some interesting examples of why render functions might just make more sense than template in certain cases. Um, and in addition to that, uh, we also have you know server-side rendering. Uh, might not be super interesting to PHP developers because that entails that you have to use Node.js, but uh, it's a it's a thing that a lot of people has been have been asking for. And uh, in 2.0, we basically have uh, very straightforward server-side rendering support. And it's really performing, and we have a, a streaming mode with component caching and all that. So uh, something interesting if you are uh, you're open to you know trying it out. But it's not like uh, it's totally optional. It's not a requirement if you want to use Vue two. Awesome, and that's one of those things that you were saying is you know possible now, largely in part to uh, introducing the virtual DOM. Yes. Uh, I would say using virtual dot makes the implementation straightforward and less um, less complicated. It's it was possible to do server side rendering for V one, but it essentially meant maintaining a parallel like a template interpreter, in some sense, uh, and that puts a lot of extra maintenance burden. And I wouldn't think that's a very uh, feasible thing to do, uh, given the the bandwidth that we have. But using the virtual DOM. Uh, because you have this universal representation uh, of of your UI state that's uh, that that's not coupled to a certain render target, so you can use the same generated virtual DOM in Node, in the browser, or uh, in other environments. Any any place that has a JavaScript runtime, you can use reuse the same data structure. So that makes it much easier to um, create these uh, different rendering outputs in different environments. Awesome. One thing I actually wanted to talk about a little bit with regards to the render function stuff, I could see a lot of people kind of following along with uh, the developments in that space and kind of, you know, maybe seeing people who are close to Vue Core talking about it a lot because it's a new thing that's being implemented and maybe getting the impression that like they should be migrating towards using render functions for most things. So um, what is kind of your stance on that? Like, do you still think templates are the right thing to use 99% of the time and the render stuff is mostly just kind of an escape valve for the times where it, you know, is the simpler way to do things? Or do you think um, the render function is going to see, you know, a lot of use um, versus templates going forward? My personal take on this is it really depends on the user's preference. Um, it's, it's very natural that diff different developers have different preferences on what they want to use. And I think templates versus render functions is one of those cases. Like personally for me, I would probably use templates whenever I can, unless I feel the need to uh, drop down to render functions to do you know, complex uh, components. As an example, um, like say when I'm writing the, the Vue DevTools, the, view, the whole view dev tool is still just written with templates. Uh, application level code usually d does not involve that complex a logic that you like absolutely cannot express in templates. 
But when I'm working on the new uh, working on the new view router, uh, both the uh, both the router link and the router view components are implemented at, uh, using render functions because they both involve some relatively complex logic that just doesn't make sense in templates. So, um, so I think in a lot of cases, if you are um, say creating like very complex reusable components. For example, a, a UI framework with, uh, say, um, really complex widgets um, that needs to be able to compose and reuse in a lot of places, uh, render functions would probably be helpful in those cases. But if you are, say, just using these components to actually write the application itself, in a lot of cases, templates would be much, would be much more straightforward and probably more pro productive because um, they're closer to how you would think uh, in terms of final UI. Um, so, and it naturally comes down to when you're writing components, there are different types of components. Some components are concerned with the, um, the layout, the structure, uh, overall how the UI fits with one another. So in those cases, templates are obviously the better choice. But in certain cases, a component is used for uh, encapsulating logic. So for those components, um, Render function would just make more sense. So I think it really boils down to first understanding uh, what templates or render functions are for, and then uh, combine it with your own preference. Uh, and in reality, even if some people prefer render functions, they would probably just use JSX because um, handwriting render functions is is just not super. I guess the code is really just a piece of program instead of UI. So I would say people who really like render functions will probably just go all the way to JSX. But people who are not really into it will probably uh, just stick to templates and occasionally use plain render functions. I think both are really valid choices. It, yeah, it really all comes down to preference and use cases. Cool. Yeah, you kind of touch on a, a feature there that we haven't really talked about, which I guess is that the new render functions in Vue 2.0 actually can support JSX. So is that kind of like baked into um, like Vue Loader and stuff like that now? Or, or how do you get started using uh, JSX with Vue 2.0? So JSX in itself is not really like a, a runtime thing. It's really just a, a transpilation step. So it's more like compiling ES2015 down to ES5. So JSX is all about just compiling JSX into JavaScript. So uh, currently, the Vue 2 JSX support is implemented in the form of a Babel plugin. Okay. Uh, similar to how you would use JSX in React, you would use Babel combined with the, uh, the Transform JSX plugin. So we also have a similar plugin for Vue. So if you use Babel with that plugin, it will just transpire JSX into Vue 2.0 render functions. And then um, it just, you know, um, so the, the, the setup and usage is largely the same. Um, if you are interested, you can just check out the, uh, the, the, the repository for the, for the plugin itself. It has explanations on how it's used. Awesome. So um, I guess one of the most important things to probably talk about with the switch to Vue 2.0 is, is what's changed that people might be used to in Vue 1 that they can't do now in Vue 2. So what are some of kind of the things that you, uh, you know, had the opportunity to, to change now that you uh, were updating to a major version? Yeah, some of the uh, biggest changes is probably one, the, um, the deprecation of two-way props and then the deprecation of the event dispatch and broadcast system. Um, so in terms of props, um, in 2.0, the, the props change was one because two-way props had this problem of um, making side effects. So, so let, let's go back a step and think about parent-child relationships of components. Right? So uh, when components communicate to, an, to each other, the, the general idea is the parent would pass data to the child using props. And then in, in certain cases, the child needs to be able to uh, affect the, the parent in some way. Um, so with two-way props, this, this affecting each other thing becomes very implicit. You pass a prop down using the sync mode, and the child is now able to, to cause the parent to change by just mutating that prop. So now you're seeing that... Um, so the idea is that um, 
when you when you're inside the child, you can say this dot a prop equals something else, and then you are at the same time affecting your parent's state. But I think a general principle in in maintaining the application over a long time is that、um, state being mutated is basically the cause, usually the cause of、um, problems. And to to be able to constrain these changes, the the best idea, I guess, the general principle is you want to be able to to collocate the code that changes a piece of state with that state、uh, itself. So let's say you have a parent component with、uh, with some data. Ideally, all code that can touch the data of this component should be inside this component itself. So if a child component can You know, accidentally change the data of this parent component.、Uh, it becomes really hard to locate it when you when you find things go wrong. Say, let's say、uh, you're debugging something and you find that、uh, oh, the state of this component just changed. But for what reason? What? Who is actually changing it? Right? If you follow the principle of always collocating the the state mutating code with the state itself, you can just look at th- this parent component itself and be able to figure out where that happened. But if any child component can implicitly mutate the state of the parent, then you have to basically look into all the possible child components to figure out where this state mutating piece of code actually is. So that makes maintenance a lot more difficult. So instead,、uh, what if you make this more explicit? So just changing the two-way props to let the child emit an event to trigger a method. And the actual state mutating code is contained in this parent method. So now we have this.、Uh, just by doing this, we have lo- collocated the code that actually mutates the parent's state with the parent itself. So now you can just look at the parent's code and figure out where these methods,、uh, where this、uh, this method that actually changed the state is. And then also the child component, the child component no longer contains any code that can. That implicitly causing changes because it's now explicitly emitting an event, and、uh, the whole idea of parent-child relationship becomes you're always just passing data down, and then your、uh, anything that needs to affect the parent needs to be done in the form of an event that's explicitly emitted to the parent.、Um, I'm not sure I've explained that clear enough, but the the general idea is.、Um, Being more explicit about how a child can affect a parent can help a lot in the long run. When you're, when when you have very complex parent-child、uh, component hierarchies. Yeah. So I guess two things that I think are interesting to talk about around that is one,、um, the way that the prop passing works in Vue 2.0 now. You can't change the reference in the child, but if you were to pass down like some sort of complex object. To the、right. child, the child could still update properties on that object, which would update、yep. in the parent, right? Yep. Now, is that considered a bad practice?、Uh, I would, in most cases,、uh, stay away from it. But、uh, in certain cases, it could actually be it could be valid use case sometimes. But、uh, in general, I would stay away from it. But usually, you know, I'm really、um, in general, I'm reluctant to say that this is something that you absolutely should not do. But I don't like unless you have a really really good reason to do it. I would I would stay away from it as much as possible. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. When you're when you're passing props down, so then are you usually just passing down like primitive types most of the time, like integers and strings and stuff like that. Yep. Do you ever do anything like passing around callbacks or anything via props? Uh, yeah, you definitely can do that too. Um, the thing is, uh, I guess passing callbacks is very common in React. Um, because There is no like custom event system in React, so it's kind of like passing down a callback is similar to because you have to then call it in the child and makes it a tiny bit more coupled than just emitting events, I would say. But、uh, there there are certain cases where、um, passing down a callback can achieve things that you cannot do with the event system. So I would say that's valid. Like theoretically, you can pass anything down as props. Just wanted to take a minute to thank Hired for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. So, searching for a new job can feel stressful, scary, time-consuming. You know, you got pushy recruiters trying to sell you on roles that you don't want, or job boards that make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. And sometimes you go through the whole interview process, only to find out at the very end 
that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. So Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. So the goal of Hired is to make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. So instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. So you just fill out one simple application and then top employers apply to hire you. So over a four-week time frame, you'll receive personalized interview requests with upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about which opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big companies like Facebook, as well as smaller emerging startups. And the size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. So right now, Hired can help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. And they keep all your information totally private, so there's no way that your current employer or past employer can see that you're looking for a new job. The best part about Hired is that it's completely free to you as the person who's looking to get hired. In fact, Hired will actually pay you a $1,000 hiring bonus if you take a job that was offered to you through Hired. And for Full Stack Radio listeners, they're actually doubling that offer to $2,000. So if you're a Full Stack Radio listener who's looking for a new opportunity, you can use Hired to look for a new job. And if you take one through Hired, you'll get $2,000. So if you're interested in more details about that, you can head over to www.hired.com slash fullstackradio to find out more. Thanks to Hired for sponsoring the podcast. Back to the show. So something that I actually saw in the View 2 um, docs that I had mentioned to you briefly in chat that I thought was really cool was um, when I originally heard about this idea of like, you know, getting rid of like the prop.sync, the two-way binding or the two-way, you know, kind of prop stuff um, and switching to using events, for some reason, like it just felt like heavy handed to me like it just felt like okay so now in the child i have to do i can't even remember what what it was in the view 1.0 comparison but either you know dollar broadcast or dollar emit whatever one was the one that goes up the chain uh, mm-hmm. and then in the parent Stash. yeah okay right. and then and then in the parent i'd have to you know have my events property that listed all the events that would be received and uh you know specify the callback in there and for some reason that just felt like a lot of boilerplate versus uh, using like the sync stuff, but there was an example in the docs, which was something I, I never occurred to me that you could really do, uh, which was that you can actually bind event listeners in your template on the comp- child component. So you can just do like, just like you do like a V on click, you can do a V on my custom event right on the child component and have that call a method directly. And for some reason, like that feels so much lighter to me than the alternative even though i'm sure basically it's exactly the same but it's it's it triggered like a whole different way of thinking about it in my head where it's like i never really thought about like firing events that you know in my head are analogous to clicking a button in like my child component and listening to them is that something that like um is a common approach when listening for child component events yeah that's actually the recommended approach like if if it's a direct parent-child relationship, then you should just use these uh, inline event listeners to to react to child events, um, and it makes it more definitely. It also makes it more de- uh, declarative uh, because um, in the template you see you're using a child component, you're passing it down some data using props, you're also reacting to events it emits are using an event listener. So everything is just uh, directly right there where you're actually using the component. And, and that's how you actually should use it, in my opinion. Yeah, that feels like, it feels yeah. so much cleaner to me, I guess. Like the alternative, I guess, felt more like setting up a traditional event listener somewhere, you know what I mean? Versus this is kind of saying like directly on the component, hey, when the component does this, run this code. And you're right, the declarative kind of style just makes it seem like, um, like it makes me, realize why I would never even bother using like the dot sync stuff ever again, because now this feels like a clean, good approach to doing it that has kind of the best of both worlds, like all the benefits. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really cool. I think that's, um, I don't know if it's just me that never noticed that before, but it was something that I only picked out in like one line in one example in the 2.0 docs that I'd never seen before and really flicked a switch for me. So Yeah, I think the uh, the 1.x component docs was uh, a bit convoluted by now. We are at, like we we edited over time, we added a lot of stuff into it and um, it could 
it's very easy to overlook certain concepts like when oh, going over through that page because it's just so long. Uh, so uh, I'm trying to, you know, trying to kind of uh, uh, slim it down a little bit in the in the 2.0 version and try to make uh, it also co combined with the deprecation of two-way props. I kind of want to make this whole concept of props down, events up uh, concept more prominent and more upfront, so that you know it, it becomes clearer of how you would use that model in replacement of the old two-way props thinking. Cool. So uh, I guess the other big change that you mentioned was uh, the deprecation of, you know, the view 1.0 event system. So could you talk a bit more about what that means? Yeah, so uh, in, in 1.x, you can use the uh, dispatch and broadcast system. Um, so so essentially you can, uh, because, um, so currently you can, you can still do direct event system communication using the VR that we just talked about between direct parent and child. But when you are trying to do it, say, uh, with an ancestor or with uh, children nested really down in the, in the component tree, uh, so people would naturally come to, to think, oh, I, I should use dispatch or broadcast. But uh, turns out uh, this system, not only does it have a lot of limitations, it is, it's also um, pretty fragile if you use it in, in a large application. So one example is, how do you communicate between sibling components, right? So, um, because dispatch go only goes up, broadcast only goes down. So, when people try to communicate between sibling components, they have to do this ping pong where you first dispatch an event up to a common parent, then it broadcasts it back down, which just makes the whole event flow really, really complex yeah. and really hard to figure out. Um, and when you're debugging it, it is also a nightmare because uh, this event flow is n nowhere near explicit, like. Uh, you, you see this, it, it, it dispatches something, then you have to basically figure all the flow out in your mind by like envisioning what parent chain it could potentially travel through and then come back down. It's just, uh, it becomes really complex when your component tree is, is large. In comparison, like now the recommended approach is you would just use uh, uh, the simple cases is you would use an empty view instance as a global event bus. Uh, some people are reluctant to do it because they feel like they are, it, it's no longer, because they like the convenience that you don't need to change the structure of your app to use dispatch and broadcast. You can just uh, use them when you suddenly have the need to communicate across the component tree. But in my opinion, it's just um, like this convenience doesn't really, just, doesn't really justify the potential maintenance cost that comes with it. Using a global event bus is just more straightforward uh, because it's no longer tied to how your component tree looks. Uh, any component in your application can use the same bus to talk to one another. Uh, they can just import the same file uh, instead of having to, uh, to figure out where my ancestor is and where the sibling is in order to figure out the correct event flow to eventually reach each other. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. The, what, what we used to do a lot with View 1.0 to get around that was to do just this dot dollar root dot dollar broadcast all the time. Um, basically trying to simulate, you know, exactly what you recommend in, in View 2 now, but doing it in sort of a kind of a dirty way. <laughs> yeah. And also uh, broadcasting and um, dispatching have this, um, have this issue of like the propagation where... Uh, Say you want to notify, um, selectively notify just uh, maybe three out of five components on your parent chain. It's just really hard with dispatch because uh, you have to selectively uh, choose to where, whether to, to let this event, gate, event propagate through or not. And when your component tree structure changes, all these uh, propagation logic might just break. Mm -hmm. It's super fragile, right? But if you use the, the global event bus, there, there's no such problem at all because it's now you know, completely decoupled from how the structure of your, your app is. Awesome. Makes a lot of sense. Um, is there any other significant changes uh, in Vue 2.0 that people should look out for? Uh, we are actually actively working on this, this full migration guide. Uh, so... I, I can't really record the whole list off of mine, but I think we've talked about some of the most important changes. Um, but we'll definitely cover everything in the guide, so wait out for it. Awesome. 
So uh, what do you think the upgrade story is going to be like, you know, talking about the migration guide? Is it going to be, you know, pretty painless? Do you think it's going to take, you know, a week of work for a large application or a day of work? Or what is kind of the goals, I guess, in terms of providing a, an upgrade path for people from 1.0 to 2? Yeah. So currently we also, uh, I don't know if you've seen the tweet, we're also working on an automated uh, migration tool uh, that basically scans your code base and, um, gives you this really low-hanging fruit, like a whole list of things that you should just change. Syntax changes, um, API changes, basically tells you parts of your app that needs to use the new API or just use a deprecated feature or something. Um, so once you follow all those through and then read the guide, I, I would think the whole experience would be fairly, fairly painless. And uh, to be honest, it really depends on how much... Um, deprecated features your app is using. For mm -hmm. example, if you are, your app like relies very, very heavily on two-way syncs or uh, very heavily on dispatch and broadcast, then you might have a hard time because um, it, it kind of involves rethinking how your app is structured or how your components communicate with one another. But uh, if you have relatively light usage of these features, then um, it should be really painless because, for example, um, I have a uh, I have apps, like my own apps, that mostly use Vuex. Uh, so they don't use any like event broadcasting. They don't use any two-way syncs. So I was able to upgrade most of them just like, each app is just like half a day or one day. Uh, it's mostly just syntax changes. Yeah, so if you are already using Vuex, then uh, it would probably be a pretty straightforward upgrade, especially with the, the migration helper. But like, yeah, as I said, after all, it depends on how deeply your app relies on some of the deprecated sure. features. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So um, you actually mentioned uh, Vuex a little bit. What is the, um, the plan, I guess, for the 2.0 release when it comes to some of those like official surrounding packages like the router and stuff like that? Are they all going to be Vue 2.0 compatible at release? Yes. So uh, we do have, um, so all these major things like uh, Vue Loader, Vuefi, Vue Router, and Vuex, uh, they all have a next branch on GitHub that works with 2.0 already. So um, for example, the, uh, the new DevTools is already built with Vue 2.0 and Vuex 2.0. And uh, we have the whole, the, the Vue Router 2.0 is also rewritten from scratch, has a whole bunch of like many more examples than the first version and also in my opinion much more solid implementation um, so they're all in RC actually VX, VRouter and Vue are all in RC state right now and they are going to be all get the same like official 2.0 release together awesome. so on the day of release you'll be able to just use all of them together uh, they would work already uh, we have a bunch of users already like using them, so they've been providing feedback, and we I think they are working pretty well now. Um, we are like dragging this uh, whole RC process a bit longer than we expected, but mostly because I've been traveling so much, so uh, haven't been able to really like buckle up, uh, buckle down, and just try to get the push the final step out of the door. But uh, hopefully, we'll be able to do it in the in the next week or so. Awesome. That's awesome. Good timing then. So this, this episode will be out, I think, um, Wednesday the 21st or something like that. So, well, maybe with any luck, it'll be right around uh, release time. So, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, basically covers all the important parts of uh, Vue 2.0. And I don't think I have any other uh, specific questions. Is there any other stuff that you wanted to share about Vue 2.0 before we start wrapping up? Uh, yeah, I would, uh, I would mention one thing is that, uh, I mentioned native rendering. So, um, as of now, uh, I don't know if anyone uh, have heard about, but uh, there is a project called Weeks, W-E-E-X, that's uh, from Alibaba, which is like the biggest tech company in China. And um, it's, uh, in short, it's React Native for Vue. So it's kind of Vue Native, uh, if you've caught it. But uh, it's got Weeks, and it, um, it allows you to write uh, iOS and Android app, native iOS and Android and applications using Vue component syntax. Wow. Uh, yeah, so um, they're already using it internally, uh, but their, their, their early versions was using a Vue-inspired syntax, but lately we've just basically agreed on an official collaboration. So now we, are, um, we have a branch that actually uses Vue 2.0 as the actual JavaScript runtime framework. So 
the whole syntax is now like 90% compatible. So once this whole collaboration, you know, reaches a mature stage, we'll have this, um, basically you can use the same subset of view component syntax to write components that work on web, on iOS, and on Android at the same time. That's awesome. So when it actually like takes the virtual DOM and like translates it into native stuff, it's not yep. doing HTML, right? It's creating like no, actual yeah. like iOS widgets and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It's different from say uh, Ionic or Cordova. Um, it's really um, so the, the as I said, like the the whole runtime rendering mechanism is decoupled from the DOM. So we abstract it all the way up to the final uh, node operations. So these operations are then sent over the wire to a native rendering layer, which will eventually translate them into native render calls. That's really cool. Is yeah. there anywhere where people can um, go to like learn more about that? I see like they have their uh, their GitHub page with yeah. some documentation and stuff. Is there any like um, tutorials that you've seen or screencasts or anything where someone kind of walks through how this stuff works that people could check out if they're more interested in it? Uh, I think there is a English um, tutorial, but uh, I think they're actually working on it. Currently, the documentation tutorial is a bit of um, rudimentary, I would say. Um, but they are actively thinking about uh, producing more uh, teaching material so that people can have an easier time getting started with it. I th um, hopefully after we have this uh, really uh, ready to go like view-based branch going, we would have a whole new series of tutorial because uh, the new tutorials will be exact using the exact same view syntax. So it would be much more familiar to view users. That's awesome. That's really exciting, actually. That's one of those things that I think a lot of people would love to be able to, you know, a lot of web developers would love to be able to build native applications and stuff, but there's like a lot of obstacles to getting there as far as learning whole new languages and whole new ecosystems of, of stuff. So anything that can kind of bridge that gap, but also not be like phone gap, which I've never had a good experience <laughs> with, <laughs> uh, would yeah. be awesome. So that's really cool. Awesome, man. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the show again. It's been a blast uh, chatting with you about Vue 2.0, and I'm really looking forward to uh, playing with the official release when it comes out, hopefully soon. Good. Yeah, thanks for having me, having me again. Uh, so what's the best way for people to kind of keep up with uh, the latest Vue.js news and stuff? Um, follow the Twitter account is probably the most straightforward way. Uh, the, the account will have the, the earliest announcements of the new releases and... Uh, We'll also there are also two uh, new view newsletters uh, that we constantly retweet. Um, they both uh, collect a lot of interesting stuff from the community, uh, tutorials and uh, new libraries and all that. Uh, so if you're into these more uh, fully co full comprehensive sources, then you should probably re uh, sign up for those newsletters. Awesome. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, thanks again for coming on and. Uh if anyone is interested in checking out show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 50. And if you can rate and review the show on iTunes, that's uh, always helpful, getting us in front of more people. And thanks to Hired and Rollbar for sponsoring this podcast. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Bye.